Well, this is the third part of the Lord's Prayer. We Jeff did the first part, did the second part a couple weeks ago, and we're going to finish it up now tonight or today. That song we sang a minute ago, Neil Noah, you are Christians by your love. I, love, I, I like that song because I like what it means. And we're going to see this morning as we finish up the Lord's Prayer here how that, that love part, how that fits in and it, that fits in with forgiveness. Because there's times in our lives to forgive somebody, we're going to have to love them because it's going to be pretty hard to forgive them. So let's pray real quick and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, Lord, Thank you for this time that you've given us to come and, and hear your word, to, to dig into it, Lord, to learn directly from you and to be able to apply it to our lives. Father, I pray that uh, all of us, every one of us here this morning, Father, will see where we lack in this area and that you will show us how we can grow in this area, Father. So, Lord, we ask this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's interesting that, uh, well, let's read first. We're going to read the whole Lord's Prayer. We'll start with that, and then we'll start pick up where we're left off at. I'm going to pick up in chapter 6 of Matthew on verse 7, and Jesus is talking to the disciples. And He says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. And we talked about this Lord's Prayer being used as a, almost as a chant. You know, it's not what God, what Jesus meant when He was giving this out. And He says, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask it. And Jesus, God knows what we need before we realize we need it, let alone when we ask it. So long before you ever realize you need something, God knew you were going to need that. And so He says, verse 9, Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Recognize him for his greatness and his awesomeness. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That his will in heaven, the same exact way, will be done here on earth, in our lives, in everything around us, because God is in charge of everything. Nothing happens that he doesn't know happens. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Give me daily what I need to sustain me both physically and spiritually. And verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their, their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But... If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. You know, it's as humans, it's a human nature. We love forgiveness. We love to be forgiven for the things we do wrong. And I'm a knucklehead and I do a lot of things wrong. And I love it when somebody says, hey, it's all right. No, you didn't mean it. But it's interesting how we can turn around and we can be the worst people at giving forgiveness. We want it for ourselves, 
are horrible sometimes about extending it. Matthew 6 through 15, 12, 6, 12 through 15 here, this is about forgiveness. This is about asking God for forgiveness, but then also saying, you know, forgive me, but forgive me as I forgive those. And you could reword this a little bit and you could say, uh, forgive me in the manner in which I forgive others. Are you brave enough to pray that prayer? Are you brave enough to go to your knees and say, Lord, forgive me exactly the way I forgive other people? How much forgiveness do you think we'd get? So the question here, you know, as Christians, how is it that we would have the audacity to go before our God asking and begging for forgiveness at times, and yet refusing to extend it to others. Think about that. And verse 15 gives us a stern warning. He says, if you're not going to forgive, basically don't expect forgiveness. It goes hand in hand. If I want forgiveness, I need to be giving forgiveness. You know, we can all think, look back over our lives. I know I can. I've been in church most of my life. And I can think of all those uh, Mr. and Mrs. more righteous than you are. And how they just, in all their pomp and piety, thought they were the best thing that there ever was. But then they'd t somebody would wrong them. And they'd say, well, God's going to have to forgive that one because I can't. Really? You want to be that person? Because if you're not willing to forgive, you're putting yourself in a pretty precarious position. And you're saying, well, I don't really want God to forgive me. And then I got to ask myself another question. If I'm not willing to forgive, Do I really, am I willing to put myself in a position that now my very salvation is questioned? Because if I'm not willing to forgive, am I, do I belong to God? Am I redeemed of Christ? And am I put, am I willing to put myself in jeopardy of hell due to something somebody else did to me or I perceive that they did to me. And that's what we're doing. When we refuse to forgive, that is the position we're putting ourselves in. And I think the reason we do it is pride. Because we all, I think every one of us, we all have a kind of an inflated opinion of ourselves. My sin's not as bad as that guy's sin. And what he did to me was terrible. And I shouldn't have to forgive that. It's pride. It's what it all comes down to. And that pride has one destination. Hell. 
So let's go to Matthew 18. If you'd turn there with me. We're going to look at the story of uh, some forgiveness and not forgiveness. We'll pick up in verse 21. It says, And Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now don't get hung up on the number here. This number is meant to be an infinite number, all right? As many times as you are have been offended, you are to forgive. And that is the point that Jesus is making when he's talking to the disciples here. Because for me to keep score, say, all right, one, two, three, but I'm not going to forgive that fourth one. For me to do that, I'm putting myself in place of God. And it's God's business to not forgive or to forgive. It's my job to forgive. In Psalm 78, in fact, turn there for a second. Besides that, we all got to get, it's good to get used to flipping around through your Bible. In Psalm 78, Asaph is telling the story about all the things that God has done for Israel. All the great wonders and mighty works that he has done. And then all the times that Israel has rebelled, done stupid things, been punished for it. Then they turn to God in the midst of their punishment. They kind of start going back to him. Then they go to his stupid things again. And then they get in trouble again. It's kind of a cycle. It keeps repeating itself. So in verse 32, he says, in spite of this, they still sin. So in spite of everything that's going on, they keep sinning. Despite his wonders they did, they did not believe. So he made their days vanish like a breath in their years in terror. And when he killed them, they sought him, you know, when he's punishing them. And they repented and sought God earnestly. Nothing gets you on your knees faster than things going wrong, right? 35, he says, they remembered that God was their rock, the most high God, their redeemer. But they flattered him with their mouths and they lied to him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast toward him and they were not faithful to his covenant. Again, they just turned into him because they got either being punished. And this is a cycle they repeat over and over. 38 says, yet he, God, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all of his wrath. And he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and comes, not gone again. How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. So if anybody had a right to keep score, this God. If anybody had a right to say, okay, I forgive you all these times, but doggone it, this is the last time. And then I'm going to drop the hammer on you. 
But, you know, God, he doesn't, he doesn't do that. So when we, as Christians, and we look at God's example of what he's done and how he has treated mankind throughout history, again, what right do I have to ever refuse to forgive someone? Going back to uh, Matthew 18 and verse 23, he says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be, be, yeah, may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him that owed him 10,000 talents. Now again, don't get hung up here in numbers. Talents was, a talent was the largest monetary denomination they had at that time. So this number is used to show the infinite debt that this servant had. And I got to think, I thought, well, I don't know much about other currencies. What would that be to me? You know, so I wrap my brain around this. Infinity and stuff's kind of hard for me to think of. So I got to thinking about this. And when Matthew Henry wrote his commentary on the Bible, he, did, he started it in 1704. And it took him the next 10 and last 10 of years of his life to complete that commentary. And in it, he said that this 10,000 talents equated to his time as being 1,875,000 pounds sterling or a king's ransom. Okay, well, that's a lot. I still don't understand pounds. So I, well, I got a computer. So I got out there on the old interwebs, found me a little calculator that says, plug in the year that you started. Said, All right, well, halfway, 1709. Then I plugged in that 1,875,000 pounds sterling. What is that in US dollars today? As of last night, $233,359,334.29. That's infinity to me. <laughs> okay. That's I, my brain. I can't think of that kind of money. So this is where that servant was when this king called him to him and says, you're a debt. And I want you to pay up now. Think in terms if you owed that kind of money right now and somebody came to you and said, pay up now or else. Verse 25 says, And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, then payment to be made. So this debt that this servant owed, he didn't just come into this debt accidentally overnight. This was an extended period of time. It would have taken a wanton disregard for anything sane, dealing with finances, <laughs> to get into this kind of debt. So that's a sin. And they start taking these debt now and we'll start plugging the word sin in there. 
You don't get there overnight. And it's a path that you've traveled for a while to get to such a large debt. And because of this, his entire family is going to be punished. This is not just going to affect him. This king says, we're going to sell your wife and your children. Everybody is going to be affected by his decision, by this presumptuous sin in this person's life. And pay attention to that word because we're going to get into it a, bit, a little bit later. Think about how our debts or sins in our lives today that you and I have affect our families. They affect what we can do for our families, and it has an effect on our families. And to look at this from a kind of a secular point of view, uh, a statistic from the Urban Institute says that children who've been poor for at least one year in their lives before the age of 18 are less likely to reach most the, the most important adult milestones in their lives. And one of them being they're less likely to finish high school. And it's just being poor for one year out of their first 18. The effect that that can have on a child. And if they... If it affects them to that point, what's the rest of their life going to look like? Because statistics also show that people brought up in poverty tend to stay in poverty. It is the rare occasion that somebody breaks the chain and gets out. Now, looking at it from a spiritual point of view, the Barnes Research Group, here's some statistics from them. A child growing up in a believing home. If a child from the age of 5 to 13 has the luxury of being in a believing home, he has a 32% probability of becoming a believer. If the child is 14 to 18, and they end up living in a believing home, they have a 14% probability of becoming a believer. And once that age is 19 or higher, it drops down to 6%. So the point that I'm trying to make here is these decisions, these things that we do in our lives, our sin, our debts, our decisions, everything we do, it affects everybody around us, just as this servant. So keep in mind that how I act in my home is going to have an effect on my family, on my wife, and on my children. If I cannot forgive people, or if I refuse, because it's not a question that cannot, it's that I refuse to forgive. And if I refuse to forgive people, and my children grow up seeing that, how will they ever learn to forgive? Because they certainly aren't seeing it modeled in the home. Everything you do affects your family one way or another. Verse 26. He says, So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. So the servant, he hits his knees. 
He's begging him. He's begging the king, please, a little more time, a little more time. I'll, I'll pay it. You can give me all the time in the world and I ain't paying anybody $233 million, okay? It just ain't going to happen. <laughs> and that's the point. That's why we're using such big numbers here, trying to show the infinity of this debt. Because do you think you could ever repay God the debt you owe him or that you owed to him? No way. It was a infinity. It was an internal, eternal debt or debt that we owed. There's no way I could repay that. And there's people that think they can. And that's the way they operate. That's the way they pray. And so they end up in this miserable life of legalism. If I go to church every time the doors open, if I pray three times a day, standing on my right foot, looking out the right way, and I say just the right words, they're miserable people. They can be kind of miserable to be around, too. And then they're also living with a doubt in their, head, in their mind. And this doubt is, am I forgiven? Did God really forgive me? Because this debt, this eternal, this infinite debt that we owed, there's only one way, one answer to this debt. And has to get on our knees and we ask forgiveness. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. See, Jesus is telling them this parable to make them understand that on their own, there is no way this debt can be settled. This, debt, this, this parable is not about the money. This parable is about the debt that was owed to God the eternal debt that was owed. And Jesus is showing them that you can't. You cannot pay this. There's only one way that this debt can be paid, and that's for it to be forgiven. There's a big difference between begging for more time and being forgiven. And imagine if you're sitting here today and you actually owed that $233 million. And all of a sudden, the person you owed it to looked at you and said, you know what? Never mind. Forget it. Don't worry about it. You forget it, and I'm going to forget it. What would that do to you? How would that make you feel? I bet you money, your knees had turned to jello, and you'd probably start bawling. Because it would be such a relief lifted off of you. That's what Christ did for us. That eternal debt that we owed, when he took it, and God said, it's forgiven. Don't worry. You don't have to pay it back. It's forgiven. That's the lesson Jesus is teaching the disciples with this parable. Verse 27 says, And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. That's huge. You know, King David, I 
love reading about King David. Because if there was ever a man that understood his knuckleheadedness, his frailness, his humanness, it was David. And I love his prayers. And you go through the Psalms and you just think about it because you could claim those for yourself every time. And in Psalms 19, verses 12 and 13, David's praying. And in verse 12, he's asking God to forgive him for his secret sins, the sins that he does that he doesn't realize he's doing. And then in verse 13, he asks God to keep him from his presumptuous sins. And these are intentional, arrogant, blatant sins. Sins that you got no excuse for because you did it on purpose. You did it knowing what you were doing as you did it. And think about David with Bathsheba. When he saw her on that rooftop, then he sent for her. He was friends with her husband. He was his, Uriah was his top general. David knew what he was doing. Then he had an adulterous affair with her. And she got pregnant. Then he's like, oh, shoot. Well, rather than admit to this, I'm going to call Uriah back and we'll make it look like it's his. But Uriah, being a man of integrity, he wouldn't go into his wife. He said, oh, my men are still out in the field. They're out in battle. And I'm going to sleep on the ground outside like my men are. To the point, David couldn't do anything. So what did David do? He says, all right, go back to battle. And he tells him, so he's with him, sends him with a letter. And he says, hey, take your eye to where the fighting is the worst. And put him in the lead. Get him out there. And when they, it's really bad, pull back and leave him by himself. And Uriah dies. David murdered him. That was a presumptuous sin. David knew what he was doing when he did this, when he committed adultery and when he murdered Uriah. Well, when I refuse to forgive someone, that's just as presumptuous, just as arrogant, just as hateful as what David did. There's no difference. I'm just as guilty as David was. That's a presumptuous sin. In Numbers 15, 30, God was giving the law to the Israelites, governing different sacrifices for things. And He had just given them what they were to do for those Accidental sins, the secret sins, the sins that you've committed by mistake. But then he goes on in verse 30 of chapter 15 there. And he says, but a person who does anything with a high hand, King James says, presumptuously. Whether he is a native or a sojourner, reviles the Lord, speaks harshly against the Lord, speaks blasphemously towards him, speaks out of turn towards him. That's what that revile means. 
That person shall be cut off from among his people. So God takes this presumptuous sin seriously. And so when we go back to the Lord's Prayer, when it's over with, and he says, if you won't forgive, neither will God forgive. Because he's serious about telling us we need to forgive people. People who have wronged us and people that we think have wronged us. Because, again, we go back to that pride. Maybe somebody just did something I didn't like. And so I take that as being, hey, you know. So when you look at these sins and you understand, go to numbers there. There's no goats, there's no bulls, there's no sheep, and there ain't no amount of money that's going to be enough offering to cover us for this presumptuous sins of non-forgiveness. The only thing that's going to cover us is forgiveness ourselves to have God forgive us. How is it? How is it that we... As Christians that have been forgiven so much, can at times be so doggone bullheaded and arrogant to believe that it's okay for me not to forgive somebody else. This servant asked for time. And he received a full pardon. Without God's forgiveness, where are we headed? Straight to hell. That's where we're going. If we don't have God's forgiveness, we're going someplace that we don't want to go. Verses 28. He says, but, not a servant, he's just been forgiven this infinite debt. And in verse 20 says, it says, but, when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began choking him and saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he refused. And he went and put him in prison until he could pay him. Really? That's who we are when we refuse to forgive someone. We're, we're this hateful guy. That's who we are. See, God's forgiveness delivered us from a debt that we owed that was unpayable by us. But Luke 1, 74 tells us, might have delivered us from a debt, but it didn't free us from a duty. Luke 174 tells us that he delivered us so we could serve him. Then if I refuse to forgive, am I serving him? Not at all. In fact, I'm doing everything opposite of what I was told to do. Go to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, verse 30. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed 
for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Do you think that any human being could ever commit a wrong towards you greater than any wrong you've committed towards God? You think so? I don't think so. Because I think Scripture tells me opposite. This second servant, he did the exact same thing the first servant did. And this, uh, whatever it was, denarii that he owed was far less than what the first servant owed. And he went to his knees asking for forgiveness. But the first one was like, I ain't forgiven you. Give me the money. And he has him thrown in jail. I don't think he learned a lesson when he was before the king. What do you think God's going to say to us? The day we stand before him and for supposedly forgiven, yet we for, refuse to forgive. And his first servant, just to show the corruptness of his own heart, it says he had him jailed. And again, we go back to the first debt of this first servant. That was an intentional act that he did to get that far in debt. So his heart was already corrupted long before this ever started. Verse 31 says, When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, and they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported it to their master, all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. I don't want to be standing before God and have him looking at me like that. I got a lot of things that Praise the Lord, I should have to answer for. But what God's going to see is the blood of His Son. And He's going to look at me, He's going to say, forgiven. And that's that eternal, infinite debt that God has forgiven me. I know I don't deserve it, but He has chosen to forgive me. He has chosen to forgive you. The least we can do is forgive others. It ain't always easy. And it's not going to be always easy. There's going to be some things that will happen in our lives. And we see, you know, people go through stuff that's going to involve anger and hurt. And it's hard to let go of. You know, it's a... I've talked a little bit about my family life when I was young growing up. Uh, I grew up with a lot of anger. I... Didn't want a lot to do with my family. I didn't want a lot to do with pretty much anybody. And I missed out on a lot of things because of that. 
And it wasn't until I got older that, you know, I'd, I was sitting there and, I, you know, I'm thinking about these things. And it's like, well, you know, when I start thinking about it, I guess they're really not that bad. Kind of like them. Still mad at them, you know. And But God was working on me. And I wanted to be okay with the situation. I just wasn't ready yet. You know, and it took a while. And finally, one day, I just kind of had to, you know what, God, I don't know how to do this. I don't. And I know you're telling me to forgive. I don't know how to do it. I'd lived with this anger for so many years. I know how to let go of it. And so I started praying. Now, it didn't happen overnight, so don't hear me saying that. It was a process that went on. But today, several years later, I now have a relationship with my extended family that I wished I'd have had when I was younger. You know, I missed out on a lot of stuff. And most of that was due to my anger and my refusing to let go of it and my, you know, they had wronged me or I saw it as they had wronged me or, you know, whatever the case might be. For whatever it was, I had to let go of it. And it wasn't until I prayed about it and prayed at length about it that finally I started to let go of that anger. Yeah, once I started to let go of that anger, you know, that relationship that came, that followed after that, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I, 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 wished, I wished God had slapped me upside the head when I was, early, when I was younger, <laughs> you know, because I missed out on it. That person that that unforgiveness hurts the most is the person that refuses to forgive. If I refuse to forgive you, odds are you probably don't even know it. <laughs> Okay, so if you don't know it, I promise you it's not bothering you. But it's going to bother me. I'm going to dwell on it. You know, all of a sudden you do something and I'm like, yeah, he's kind of all right. Nope, I'm still mad at him. You know, that's stupid. And it's sinful. And God says, forgive if you want to be forgiven. And again, I go back to uh, as a believer. If I refuse to, to forgive and Christ is, or God has told me to forgive, am I truly Christ? Am I truly redeemed? If I can't forgive, I'm not loving. And as a song we sang earlier said, they will know you are Christians by your love. So if I can't forgive, do I have love in me? And if I don't have love in me, do I belong to Christ? Am I redeemed? And so if I find myself, you know, in a situation like that, that's a question I need to ask myself. I need some soul searching. Why? Why am I like this? And again, it's when you go back to our Father. Get on your knees. Go to him in prayer. Say, Lord, I don't. I'm struggling. I don't know how to let go of this. He, I promise you, he will work it out of you. It's going to take time. 
But if you'll turn it over to God, he'll show you how to turn it over. And then he'll walk you through it. It'll walk you out of it. James 2.13 says, For the judgment, for judgment is without mercy to one who shows no, has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And then in verse 35, he says, So also my heavenly Father will do, do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. If we go back a couple chapters to, or forward, I mean, back, whatever. Matthew 7, verse 2. He says, for, the, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, will be measured to you. Again, that question I asked you earlier, do you really want to ask, pray to God to forgive you in the same manner that you forgive others? And that's what Matthew 7 here is saying. The same judgment that you use towards others, that judgment will be used on you to the same measure that you used it on the other person. Go to Romans 2. Romans 2, verse 1. It says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you judge practicing the very same thing. See, and odds are, the thing we're offended by, we're usually just as guilty. And nine out of ten times, just as guilty of the exact same thing. Verse 2, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? When God gives you time, when He, you know, I get on my knees and I say, give me some more time, when what I need is forgiveness. When God shows that, extends that kindness to me and that forgiveness to me, it is to bring me to Him, to bring me to the point of repentance. That is the point of forgiveness. Verse 5, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And he'll render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience, to those who by patience and well-doing seek glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. That's what happens if we refuse to forgive. God says, if you want to be forgiven, you've got to forgive. And the cool thing about forgiveness and going back to that, inf the, that picture of infinity. In Psalms 103.12, he says, as far as the east is from the west, 
So far does he remove our transgressions from us. So you go east, you go west, you keep going. You're never going to come back to each other if you went in a straight line. Affinity. I don't know for you, but it's hard for me to wrap my, my brain around infinity and eternal, eternity. I mean, it's because it's never ending. It's something that I, I'm used to things that have an ending, you know. People live, people die. Things start and they stop. I'm used to a finite life. Hebrews 8.12 says, For I will be merciful toward the iniquities, and I will remember his sins no more. That's a full pardon. It's not having to ask for extra time and ask, Lord, give me a little more time so I can pay this back. That is a full pardon. And the most important thing to remember out of all of this, God's not suggesting it. He's telling you to. This isn't a great idea. This is an order. God has told us to forgive. And without forgiveness, we're nothing. Whether we forgiveness that we give and forgiveness that we receive. Without forgiveness, the future is hell. I don't want that for anybody. I certainly don't want it for myself. So I want to claim God's forgiveness and pray that He teaches me to extend forgiveness. As we, as I close here, and we get ready to observe the Lord's table, Take a moment and think about this because this is, this is what we're doing when we go to the Lord's table. We are recognizing that our holy God gave us a full pardon on an infinite debt that we owed. Jesus Christ went to the cross and paid in blood the debt we owed. Everybody in this room owed that $233.3 million. That debt's been wiped clean. Nobody, if you're his, you don't owe that debt. Paid in full. Christ paid it. And that's what we're, we're thinking. It's what we're remembering. When we come to his table and we take these elements, we're remembering what Christ did for us. We're remembering that this was a debt, that there was no way possible that I could repay it. I could be sacrificing goats and bulls and cows and horses and chickens and everything else out there. It's not going to pay the debt. Christ, Christ paid the debt. 
And a beautiful thing is, what did he say on the cross? What he said, it is done. Debt paid in full. And for all of my stupidity that I've ever done, and I'm not done yet, I could probably do some more. When I stand before my Father, when I stand before a holy God, He's not going to see my stupidity. He's not going to see my sins. He's going to see the blood of His Son. And He's going to see Joe on his knees, unable to speak. I'll be lucky if I'm not laying on my face. That's what he's going to see. But he's going to see me covered in the blood of his son. He won't see me in my sin. And that's, that's what these elements are about. And this is why we do this. This is why we take these on Sunday morning. Is to recognize that, de- that debt is paid in full. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 24, he says, And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25, he says, And in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you, Lord, as broken servants, Father. Servants that deserve your wrath. But Father, you've given us your mercy and your grace. You've paid the debt, Lord, that we could never even imagine being able to pay. Father, you have forgiven us You have wiped the slate clean. You've given us a hope. You've given us a new beginning, Lord. And it it will end, Father, with us in your presence when you call us home, Lord, when you make all things right, when the new earth and a new heaven are created, Father, and we will be with you. Father God, we give you all the praise and all the glory and in your son Jesus' name. Amen.